electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner on this Friday, front and center this hour, questionable Q4. What the final three months of this year will hold for your money. So many critical issues on the table for investors, the Fed, earnings, and so much more. We're debating it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Liz Young, Jim Labenthal, and Josh Brown. Let's check stocks that do remain volatile. We're coming off the first negative month in eight Dow's holding on to a gain of 250. S&P's good for one half of 1%. That's 23 points. NASDAQ's green. The Russell's green. Yield on the 10 years at 148. All right, Stephanie Link, we've got a lot of unknowns. What's the Fed going to do with tapering? What are earnings going to bring in this quarter? Stocks are volatile and uncertain. What do you think is going to happen? Well, there's always a list of worries, always, right? Um, add in what you just said into supply chain issues, and we had a whole host of them this week. Washington unknowns, and now China, and China is slowing pretty quickly. But I look and I say, okay, we just had this great news on Merck. Um, I, I'm listening to what companies are saying. They're saying demand is still very, very strong. It's the supply side that's hurting their businesses. They'll figure that out. But then I look, Scott, we had a 6.7% GDP number. I look at the economy. That is really a great number. Today's ISM manufacturing number the, was, was uh, over 60. Um, excuse me, uh, the new orders number was over 60. That's the 15th consecutive month. That's a leading indicator for higher earnings going forward. And the University of Michigan numbers, we were all afraid that the numbers were starting to come down uh, in terms of sentiment. That number actually surprised to the upside. Savings rate is at 9.4 percent and people are, uh, are spending. There's pent up demand. So I look at above average growth here in the states. I listen to what the companies are saying. Yes, we have inflation and we have bottlenecks on the supply side of things. But you add those two things up. That's why rates are going higher. And that usually favors the rotation back into value versus growth, which we have been seeing, minus yesterday, but we have been seeing that over the last couple of weeks. I think that playbook into the end of the year is the playbook that you, I recommend and I actually have at this point. So um, earnings comps are going to be tougher, though, Steph, right? What if they're, mm -hmm. what if they're disappointing? That's going to be a problem, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's why you have to find companies that are number one in, the, in, in their industries. Um, they have a proven track record in terms of execution. And most importantly, Scott, they have pricing power. These companies in general, overall, the last 18 months, have been restructuring. They had no choice, right, because business went away. So now you have good cost structures, and you're going to have a decent top line, maybe some supply constraints, I get it, but you're going to have decent top line, not as strong as second quarter, but you will have good numbers. 
shares and you have operating leverage. And that's why I think the cyclicals and economically sensitive companies are the ones you want to own because they have more operating leverage than some of the secular tech, secular growth. Not abandoning those sectors, but I just have a skew towards more operating leverage companies that will win, I think, into the end of the year. Mr. All-In, former Jim Labenthal. Yo. The most positive person on this desk over the last many weeks is you, my friend. Mr. All-In. How are you feeling entering Q4? I like the name. You do? I, you still? I, I like the name. I'm, stick, I'm sticking with it. Um, you know, you brought up earnings, and I, I want to I start there, if I may, because we're talking about the earnings for the quarter that ended September 30th. And what was the big motive force for those three months? It was the Delta variant of the virus. Guess what? The Delta variant has peaked. The numbers clearly show that. The news from Merck is even more positive in that regard, that at least for this moment in time, COVID is becoming less of a hindrance. It will allow workers to get back to the ports and unload cargo ships. It will allow shifts to be manned at semiconductor plants around the world. These are positives. The Fed is going to continue to be accommodative, continue to buy bonds for at least the next eight months, maybe in reduced sizes. That's another positive. So what's weighing on the markets right now? I don't think it's earnings, Scott. I think it's Congress. You and I argued about this earlier this week, but I'm going to stay on topic here. I'm going to stay on point. There's a lot of uncertainty with Congress. We know that. But what we also know is it's going to be resolved. I don't know if it's today, next week, or two weeks, but that's the time frame that we're looking at. And when you get past those uncertainties, you've got all those positives that I talked about, and they lead to a cyclical reopening stage 2.0 that you can bet I am all in on. All in on cyclicals, value, let's go. Okay. Liz Young, he conveniently, our friendly farmer who's all in, doesn't mention inflation. Costs are up everywhere. Companies that can raise prices are the ones who are going to hold their margins up into the coming quarter. When we talk about earnings, that's going to be a, a huge story. Those that can't are going to face a hit to their margins. I don't know how the market's going to like that. Jim says this is mostly Congress. That's what all the noise in the market is about. Do you buy that? I think that's part of it. I mean, we came into September with this kind of bag of worries, right? And we're slowly unloading little pieces of that. One of the big things that we came into worried about was that we hadn't had a correction in so long, right? Well, now we had one. We broke that 5% correction level. We can tick that off the list. We've done it. The other thing is we keep talking about seasonality, and that's sort of an excuse, in my opinion, for why the market might be down. We're still in a seasonally weak period, but if we use seasonality as an excuse, that would be like me calling you, Scott, and saying my market calls are going to be bad for the next month because Mercury's in retrograde and I'm a cancer. It's just, it's, that doesn't make sense. So we have to look at what are the real reasons and are there real reasons that are weighing on us going forward? I don't think that there are as many weighing on us. Inflation, however, is one of them. And we wanted to lean back on the earnings picture as something to see us strength into the end of the year. You're right, we probably will see some weakness. We're gonna hear some communication from companies that the supply chain is weighing on them, that inflation is weighing on them. But what if we just push it out like the Fed did with their projections? So instead of seeing that strength into the end of this year, maybe that strength happens in 2022 when the inflation story kind of takes a more of a backseat. Okay. Josh Brown, our guy, Jonathan Krinsky, Baycrest. I know you follow his stuff. We have him on all the time. Mm. He says we have little conviction that 4,300 holds on the S&P. We're at 4,329 right now. 
but we see much better support in the 4200 to 4240 range. All right, he's looking for a, that. That tells me obviously he's looking for a pullback. You've heard the others on the committee. Everybody sounds fairly positive. Are you as positive as they are? Well, I think there are some things happening in the market with individual stocks that demand our attention. But I wouldn't contradict what what Krinsky's saying, because you think about that distinction, the level we're at now to where he thinks there might be the real support. Like for anyone with a time horizon longer than a month or two, that really doesn't matter that much. And if anything, what we've seen out of market participants is that they will buy the hell out of that if and when it happens. So I think he could be right on what ends up happening, but maybe we could be wrong about interpreting that to be like a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Um, there's still $16 trillion in cash uh, in, in, in U.S. households right now. Like people would like that opportunity. And that's been the playbook. It continues to work. But when I talk about the individual stocks, it's a very obvious theme today. The obvious theme is people leaving their houses. Look at Live Nation. This is a flawless chart having another huge day today, breaking out. Like, there are no flies on that story whatsoever, and the technicals are lining up with the improved fundamentals. UAL, a stock I don't own, looks like it's breaking out. Delta, same thing. Look at Caesars up almost 5%. Uh, uh, stock wants to make a record. Mm -hmm. uh, Trip got killed, but having a big day today, up 7%. Expedia up 4%. Even Royal Caribbean's having a good day. And then you look at the small value to QQQ ratio. I know we can't do ratio charts on, on this show, so I'll just describe it. It made a big move higher. That's small cap value outperforming large cap tech sideways for the last few sessions. Now it's setting up. Looks like it wants to rip again. That's coinciding with strength and energy and, uh, and hopefully the, the home builders bottoming. So I feel like you have a market where the obvious trades that have gotten us this far have, have paused, but now you're seeing this resurgence in cyclical stuff, in go-outside stocks, and we want to see that because we know that the taper is nigh. It's like Christopher Moltisanti said, uh, there is no chemical solution to a spiritual problem. We, we, the chemical solution is going to subside, and the real economy is going to have to stand on its own and the stocks that are related to the real economy, fortunately, are looking like they're up to the task. And that, to me, is what I want to focus on. The overall index level will take care of itself. There is strength in the right places right now well, uh, for a year-end run. And that's what I would continue to expect. Thank you, Merck. I mean, right, Josh? I mean, those stocks are, are likely reacting to the incredible news about Merck's antiviral. I mean, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel now of covid um as jim said delta variant appears to be peaking the merck news on top of that you would see it peaked already it's down 25 percent yeah but i mean the merck new news, infections down 25 percent the, the, the merck news is a game changer that's not my word that's that's dr Gottlieb's I, word a i agree judge judge I, I agree and i i i agree and i don't have a medical background i don't know if you know that about me dr brown's is a is a cream soda okay yeah, which i like i agree with that black cherry my but, favorite but Fine. Del um, you, uh, now, now I'm thinking about Katz's Deli. You distracted my whole, my whole spiel. Listen, the, the, virus, the Delta variant of the virus peaked in Europe two months ago. We're two months behind them. It's the same playbook. So we, we know that we're not out of the woods with the, with the virus. But what we also know is the Fed is out of excuses 
to start removing stimulus a little bit at a time, obviously. We know, look at the inflation data. It's a 30-year high in CPI. So we know this. The market is reacting very well to that. That's a very, very good sign. The market is no longer panicking over this idea of coming out of emergency stimulus. And all of those stocks I just ran down for you, um, that, that is what we want to see. That price action, to me, is very bullish. And we're getting that, spiritu- that spirituality we need back. I understand. We believe in the recovery, and the stocks are signaling that. The, the biggest issue, though, of what you said, I think it was yesterday when you were with us, or if it was the day before, forgive me if it was that. I can't remember exactly which one. When you suggested the biggest story, perhaps, for the market in, in the next many weeks is going to be the fact that earnings comps are going to be tough. They're going to be tough on the top of the supply yes. chain issues and inflation. Not everywhere. And Not inflation, everywhere. but costs are yes. up almost everywhere. I mean, it feels like they're up everywhere. Judge, right? look at, look at, Judge, look at Walmart. They're crowbarring that <clears throat> stock right now. Um, it's down 10% over the last couple of weeks. Target is still falling. It's down another 1.3% today. Gap and Nordstrom are still puking. That's the area where the comps represent a headwind. Those companies are doing fabulously well. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals. It's just the comps. They get tougher. But that's not the case in energy. Stephanie will tell you. That's not the case in industrials. Jim will tell you. So we do have comp headwinds, but they're not all over the market. And I would argue, I talked about Live Nation and some of the travel stocks, the comps there are not difficult at all, and that's why those stocks are ripping. All right. Let's bring in our headliner today. Let's just get right to him. Tom Lee, Fundstrat Managing Partner. I might as well call you Mr. All-In, um, not Jim, because you've been all-in for what seems like forever. Are you still looking at 4,700 on the S&P 500 by the end of this year, Tom Lee? Uh, yeah. I, I know September was an ugly month, uh, really tough, down 5%. But in the scheme of a market that could end the year at 4,700, I, I, I'd agree with Josh and all the other panels that that's just a squiggle. Uh, you know, as we zoom out, it's going to look like nothing in, in 12 months. And I, I know investors are nervous and there's a lot of headwinds here. But as you know, when, when, when the wall of worry is big, that's also a, a good opportunity for investors. I know. But why did we have such a bad month of September? I mean, it's seasonal. I get it. But it's more than that. And now we're entering what is also a typical tough month, and, that, and that's October. I feel like we're just brushing off what just happened in September as if it doesn't even exist. Uh, yeah, it, it, we definitely, there, there was definitely a message coming out of markets in September uh, because it really puts us at that knife edge of if you're half full or half empty. You know, are these re- inflationary pressures we're seeing signs of good demand or is it stagnation? You know, is Washington turmoil something that gets resolved or does it get worse into 2022, you know, in 2024? Um, are we at peak everything? You know, is rising rates bad or good? I think there's a lot of questions. But to me, I, I think, and Jim mentioned this and Stephanie, the fact that cyclicals outperformed in September, to me, is a, a really major signal. It says that economic resilience is strong. We're definitely seeing a mixed shift in the stock market. And I think people are quite exhausted with COVID. I think the fact that Merck does have a pill really does alleviate those concerns about vaccination penetration. And, you know, it's it would be a very convenient and, as Dr. Gottlieb says, I mean, a game changing solution. So it's a positive catalyst. I get you. But I mean, rising rates are in their own way a game changing situation for stocks and multiples and valuations. And if they do start to go up, 
multiples are going to be depressed. I mean, we, we can't ignore all of the things that you just said are, are an undeniable positive, but they come perhaps with even higher rates than what we have now, anticipating an even stronger economy in the months, if not years ahead, once we can say, okay, COVID's endemic, but it's not paralyzing to us anymore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I know the market cares about rate of change. So the fact that rates have gone from 1.1 to 1.5 uh, is concerning because it is a big dip, you know, basis point change. But two years ago, if we asked investors, you know, is the S&P going to have multiple compression because interest rates are at 2%, nobody would really have considered that level to even threaten the bull market. You know, two years ago, we would have said 4 6% would be the risk, the issue. So I think as people look at 1.5% today, or even 1.8 or 1.9 or 2, it's not really a level that burdens companies. It doesn't really burden homeowners. It doesn't really burden people with debt. And I don't think it should burden equity holders. Now, you've been sticking with your call as well of stay overweight FANG. And those stocks have been tricky lately at best, right? They feel like they're in the midst of a last September, a year ago weakness, right? Now, the market was okay because all of the other stocks did well. You get my point, right? There was a lot of slack to pick up the weight. And I'm just wondering if that's going to happen again. If those stocks weaken for a more prolonged period, what that's going to mean to the overall story. Yeah, that's a great question, Scott. Uh, You know, last September, the overcrowding in FANG was uh, significant because they were your stay-at-home play. It did save people's bacons to own FANG for not only 10 years, but throughout the pandemic last year. But in 2021, FANG's not as crowded a trade. So the, the fundamental question is going to be, are FANG margins at risk because rates rise? Um, our quant, Adam Gould, did a great analysis, shows that FANG operating margins actually could rise if rates are rising. And FANG's relative performance during inflationary periods is actually quite good. So I think we're fearing something in FANG. But because it's not as crowded, I, I think they have the capability to rally pretty strongly. Let, let me ask you all this. I want to get the committee involved, too. Um, do you agree with, I think, what is a prevailing sentiment at this point, that you're going to have much more volatility ahead? And if you do agree with that, does that crimp the kind of gains that you still think we could see? I mean, volatility could fly in the face of the kind of market you're going to need to hit that 4,700 number. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I'd correctly agree with you. Volatility is a confidence killer. So if we have volatility into your end, the stock market will struggle. But it does look like the VIX is actually diverging. It's telling us to not be as fearful because, you know, even today we're, you know, we have a 22 spot VIX. I mean, it was in the high 20s just two weeks ago. So I think we have lower highs in the VIX. I think there's a good chance VIX calms down and goes back into the teens, and then that supports that 4,700 rally. Let's work the group in, if we could. Um, Stephanie Link, Tom Lee mentioned you. Um, it's interesting that you're buying more General Electric stock you've owned for a while. It's one of Tom Lee's so-called epicenter stocks. Floor is yours. 
Yeah, I mean, I, look, I like cyclicals. I, I think the economy is going to grow above trend this year and next year. Um, I am watching inflation, and I do, I do want to ask Tom about the inflation question that I have. But I like GE. I'm buying more of GE because they're doing the right things in terms of their portfolio and mixing it, changing it. They're doing asset sales. They're doing M&A. They're becoming more healthcare, aviation, and renewables and less fossil fuel and leasing. Right. So that is a higher multiple uh, uh, strategy, in my opinion. Um, And I really like this acquisition that they did recently, BK Medical. So I like what the CEO is doing. I like what the company is doing. They're executing. It tells me that the fact that they're making an acquisition tells me that they feel confident in the five billion dollar free cash flow number that they expect to see by the end of this year. But, Tom, let me ask you about inflation. Because I know we have these supply chains that's probably transitory, but I don't know when that gets resolved. I worry a lot about wages. I worry a lot about shelter costs. Those are more permanent. How worried are you about runaway inflation? Uh, well, runaway inflation, if it does happen, would obviously be something that's going to get is going to reprice the market. But I do think investors have more anxiety about inflation risk than the actual realized risk will be. Inflate, uh, wages, for instance, aren't as sticky as people think. We have to remember job turnover is incredibly high uh, across so many industries. And anybody who worked on Wall Street knows there's no such thing as sticky base wages. So if wages are high now because of shortages, it doesn't mean those are the levels in two years. Um, and I, I think from a generalized risk of inflation, I think the biggest risk would be if the U.S. population was growing faster because that's how you really anchor increasing wage expectations. There really hasn't been any country with slow population growth that has had sustained inflation. It's one of those sort of misconceptions, I think, because people tend to think it's purely a monetary phenomenon. I'm going to I'm going to call you Teflon Tom, because anything (laughs) I throw at you or anything that has theoretically come down the road that would throw you off of your game and your predictions you just they just bounce off of you. What is the one thing, Tom, that that you could see in the near term horizon? We're only talking about three months now before we have to get to that forty seven hundred number. What's the one thing that upsets that that really makes you change your call? Do you do you have that in your mind? What that's going to be? Uh, Scott, um, you know. Eighty percent of what would be a, a thesis killer would be uh, business cycle peaking. So, you know, return on capital. Having negative returns is the reason bull markets can end. Inflation actually makes return on capital decisions more profitable. It makes incentives for tech companies. So I think we're in a good moment with inflation, oddly. But um, the second is is really policy error, because we know in 2018 the economy was good, but we had a Fed potential policy misstep. And so that's really a taper misstep is really what could hurt stocks into your end. What does that mean, a taper misstep, if they taper too much? Because it certainly doesn't appear that there's a likelihood of of that in in any way. What what does that mean? Characterize it better for me. Scott, it's it's really going to be relative to market expectations. So I think to the extent there's clear communication and a lot lot of checking, and I, I know the Fed has a lot of discussions with both banks and market participants, so they don't intend to surprise anybody. But the reason they might have to surprise people is if, you know, the inflation discussion proves to be quite pernicious. But it would be hard to imagine that in the next two months, inflation sort of steps up to a level that's very concerning. Mr. All In, do you have a question for Mr. All In? Well, I have two. Durr? 
Part, I have part two questions. The first one is for the, the first second. one is for you, Scott. You're not going to give away my name, are you? Because I, I don't think I could live with that. No. But let's move on to the question for Tom. Um, Tom, this is a pointed question. It's a statement in the form of a question regarding higher interest rates and multiples. Why aren't we talking about what impact that will have on General Motors at seven times forward, at Northrop Grumman at 14 times forward, at Goldman Sachs at 10 times forward? How much will those multiples compress? I, I hope I'm leading you to where my head is <laughs> on the way I'm phrasing this. How much will those multiples compress as interest rates head towards 2%? Yes, uh, that's a great point, Jim, that when, when rates rise like that, uh, there are companies that have balance sheets that start to really leverage the benefit of higher interest rates. And so, uh, you know, looking since 1930, rising interest rates becomes a, you know, turns into a typhoon tailwind for value stocks. Uh, it really played out from 1950 to 1970, even 2002 to 2007. And it, it means stocks that are trading at seven times earnings start to get into the teens multiple. So you get the double or maybe triple benefit of accelerating earnings growth because of their balance sheet leverage, plus their multiple expansion. And then you get the overall sort of market seeing better overall demand. So it's almost a triple leverage for value stocks like that. And, and that's, that's why they could actually work really well in the next 12 months. Josh Brown, Tom Lee's your guy. You got a question for him? Yeah, Tom, you made somewhat of a circular statement uh, and I want to hear more about it from you. You said if volatility picks up, the market could struggle. Isn't that like saying if it rains, we could get wet? Like, what do, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I guess I'm saying that uh, volatility, I'm assuming, is an exogenous factor. And if it remains elevated, because it, it means investors are looking for high turbulence, right, short term. And the VIX is really just a measure of a percent, you know, the, the range of it could trade over the next few months. That makes VAR, you know, value at risk desks shrink. Uh, it, it takes down market leverage, and I think it undermines confidence over time. So uh, you're right. It's actually like saying if it rains, it's going to ruin a vacation instead of if, you know, okay. that I'm trying to forecast rain. Hey, Tom, do me a favor. Very um, zen. I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let me take a break, um, but I want you to stay with me. Um, I've got Jim Cramer uh, coming on. Uh, in just a couple of minutes. He's got a new initiative we're so excited about. It's the CNBC Investing Club. We're going to talk about the market, too. He has a question for you, Tom, as well. Do us a favor, if you can, please stick. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. There is great news for CNBC today. Beyond seeing Jim Cramer on the air on his daily show, Squawk on the Street and Mad Money, investors will be getting even more from him very soon in the new CNBC Investing Club. Jim will be sending daily emails detailing his thoughts on the markets, hosting periodic events, sharing even more in video form, and perhaps most importantly, investors will get a deeper insight into his charitable trust, what trades he is making, his candid reflections on the winners and the losers it is super exciting news. Jim Cramer is with us now. You're looking right now at the graphic and the QR code it's, as well. We're going to put that back up. But you insane. literally, it's not a graphic fully. It no. is literally put your phone up to the QR code. I know. I know. And find out. How, there it is. Put your phone up to that, literally. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you go to a restaurant now. I mean, once the COVID-oriented restaurants. But yeah, I mean, I got guys who are 75 who are saying, you know what, that thing, I put it on my phone up and I got it. <laughs> I look at this and I feel like this is about teaching, which is right. who you are, and about transparency, letting people in even further. The invest, when you say the investment committee, all right, and you open the doors to the investment committee, I get to do the memo that I bring in to the investment committee meeting. Okay. Now, Stephanie worked with me for a long time. And what you're going to get from me is, okay, look, we just heard someone say that they are say they talk about the cyclicals. And I say, okay, look, here's what the cyclicals are. When we say the cyclicals, what we're really talking about is these GE and why GE? Well, because it's got this, this, this. It doesn't really intrigue us as much as Disney which is what we've been telling people to buy. So what we're trying to do is just explain why you may like something. It's a recommended list. And I think it's for everybody because, boy, do I work by I work by tail off on this and I've got a great team and we are all about saying, you know what, Merck? OK, you like Merck? Here's what you do. You can go with Wynn. You can go with Marriott. But how about Disney that was just slammed the last few days? And we know that Disney's got a movie coming out. And then I'll say, look, even though it's not on a recommended list, let me just tell you, I saw Adam Aaron yesterday. And I know the shorts hate. They hate AMC. But you got Bond coming up. And Bond opened up huge in Europe. And I got that right from Aaron last night when I had a cocktail with him. Maybe even if you are a short seller, you realize Hey, maybe I ought to su- subscribe to that because I see why AMC just went up. This is literally you're pulling the curtain back on on who you are, what you do, why you care so much uh, about the market and why you want people. And I, I just go back to like the title of your book. I mean, it's you want people to get rich. You always have right, carefully. You want people to do it carefully. This gives them an even greater opportunity to do so because you're going to be fully transparent on the winners, the losers. You've got, what, 34 stocks or so in the Well, I love this. This is what my dad wanted me to do. He said, listen, be a teacher. Be a teacher. You made that money, and that's great, and everybody's great. Be a teacher. And I said, well, Dad, 
I got an idea, and I literally worked on this project with him many, many years ago. Pop used to get these bulletins, and he would say, oh, I now know what Google is. Yeah, that Google is like Jim's kids use. I mean, it was always about trying to figure out what Pop would like. Uh, Pop's not part of the investment committee, but he loves the stock market. Mm. And now it's about the Robin Hood kids and telling them there's more to life than, than GameStop. Now they probably hate me because they think that it isn't. But it's like being in your show. And then being able to send memos about why I just said that Josh Brown is so damn smart. And I, he just makes me laugh. But you know what? What's more important is what Josh was saying when he said, you know, this, it's going to be volatile. Thanks for nothing. Is he doesn't mean that. He loves him. And let me tell you what. I, when I hear volatility, what I think is it's time to buy Lindy. This stock was at 315 before whatever happened, and now it's down to, you know, it just it just got crushed. Or maybe it's time to buy. We'll send. We did this. We said, enough with UPS. Enough with you. Enough with the selling UPS. How about Cisco as the winner? The winner off this breakdown was Zoom and 5.9. And I got 5.9 tonight. Let me remind people once again um, on how to do all this. You can sign up and find more at CNBC.com backslash investing club or... Just point your phone at the QR code at the bottom of the screen. There's a QR code right on your screen. It'll take you right there. Again, we're, we're super excited. Congratulations. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. And you I, know what? To come on your show and to be able to talk about what I would do with the Boltons, when I'm, when you, it's just so much fun. Because I want to teach people why I just said that. I mean, like Disney. Okay, you threw that out. Well, maybe it's about Venom. Maybe it's about the rides. Maybe it's about the cruises. That's what I'll tell you. I think there was an upgrade on Disney today. I'm not going to let you get out of here, though. Um, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to ask you for your market insights. And I know you wanted to ask Tom Lee. Tom, did you stick around? Are you still with me? There he is. I love him even more. I can't hear Tom. I hope he can hear us. You want to ask Tom a question? Well, I just think that if we have big supply chain problems, there's been, and I'm trying to actually nail it down, a huge number of absentees. Like, for instance, in the FedEx conference call, at the very beginning, they talk about how Portland's only 65% full. And therefore, they have to root everything around Portland. And that's because of COVID. So, Tom Lee, I ask you, if you get rid of absenteeism, does that give J-PAL some breathing room? Because that means that we're not going to have rampant inflation. And maybe even inflation can come down if people go back to work. Oh, absolutely, Jim. I mean, as, as you just hit it on the head, when you look at a lot of the supply chain glitches, whether it's companies like FedEx or the buildup at the ports, you know, 80 ships out of Los Angeles and, and just dozens off New York, it's because of protocols related to COVID. It's the fear for workers, as you're saying, and, and, and you know, it's understandable fear about coming back to work, but these are going to contribute to all these glitches. So I absolutely agree. That's why I don't think it's a structural inflation problem, uh, but it is transitory and it's, it's painful and investors have to really have patience to look through that. Let me ask you this. I point um, blank agree with you. When, you. when you hear Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, right. who, I, who I've now come to call Mr. All-In because right. he is literally all-in. He has no cash uh, no on cash. the sidelines. No cash. Um, I have 7% he, for the trust. I, he, he thinks the bulk of the volatility or the, um, the caution in the market is due to the D.C. drama dysfunction is probably a better way of but, characterizing but we that. Got Costin, you think so? We got Costins is telling us you got to you've got to buy that. that. You got to plow through it. Yeah, you got to plow through it. And, you know, I love the Eagles and the Eagles were very there were two Eagles on the on the offensive line who were very concerned about Washington 
and it was right at mine when the Dow was down 19% for the year. They said, you know what, maybe I'm, I'm getting real nervous. They did two things wrong. They played horribly, and they also called the bottom. This is not something to worry about. It's something to watch. And, of course, we got to keep track. And there's always a thread. Look, Washington's just awful. Biden, I, I don't even, you know, Biden, when I bumped into Biden on a train once, he looked at me and he goes, you know, he hugged me. And he said, you know, I have no stocks. And it was like, oh, okay, there's something to be. Hey, Steph, can you imagine bumping into a guy who's president? And when you saw him on the train, he said, I've got no stocks. And, and it was like a big, like, <laughs> fabulous thing. I mean, Steph, can you imagine that? It's, uh, it's kind, kind, kind of scary. Hey, Jim, I have a question for you. One of the nicest things that you did at the street uh, for AAP members was the, the quarterly conference calls that you did. Are you going to do that for CNBC? No. Uh, I'm going to do. No. Okay. I'm doing monthly calls. <laughs> A monthly call. Oh, that's even better. That's even better. And I'm going to do individual calls when we feel like the people really have a lot of emails. We are going to go in there and say, you know what? I've got Jack from uh, Green Bay, and he's worried that he paid too much for Merck. We will do that, too, in our in our show, Mad Money. And when you guys think when I watch your show and I just say, you know what? I have had it with Josh, which is actually not true because I love Josh. I will get on. I will, like, do a Zoom or whatever. And I'll say, I just listen to Josh as much as I love him. I'm not buying into his thing. I'll just do that. You're going to be more busy than ever. I hope and I not. love that. My I, father I know you said do. that's why I know you he do. had a huge month of October when he died and I didn't pay taxes. I didn't know he had any sales. I got crushed by the IRS. I hope you're not going. Month. I hope you're not going to be too busy for the impromptu run out onto our show, because that's one of the things we love more than. Okay, anything. can I just point out, remember the run out, the lifetime run out of the guy, the kid you had who was short PayPal yes, and I, long eBay? I, yes, I do. And I just felt I so do. bad that I had to destroy that kid, but it was necessary <laughs> to save him. Yeah, we um, we can't wait for this. As I said, it's a big day for the network. I know it's a big day for you. Um, I'm very excited. Colleen. I know my dad's watching. Yeah, we're, we're happy. We're proud of you. He's not watching Sunday, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, you like Danny Reed. We went to a ball game with we, uh, Billy's game. Oh, we'll, no. we'll hear much more from you. Don't forget the QR code. Thank the you. QR code. QR code. <laughs> and, you know, I, I asked my daughter, I said, what are you doing with it? And I'm like, hey, no, it's the other side, Dad. Okay. Hey, I'm not that young. <laughs> I signed a five-year. I'm going to be working until I'm 52. You're still a young man. There it is, the QR code. <laughs> CNBC.com forward slash I love you guys. Club. I love the investment committee. Give me a Nigerian now and then, too, all right? They're the best. All right. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Tom Lee, I'm going to say goodbye to you as well. You have a good weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I'll send it over to Rahel Solomon with the headlines. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So many great Philly connections on this show today. Let's start with the Biden administration calling together 30 countries for a summit on cybercrime. The goal here is to improve collaboration among law enforcement agencies, especially in combating ransomware and the misuse of cryptocurrencies. And on the news tonight, what could be the first death due to ransomware? A baby born at a hospital that was under attack You can get the details tonight at 7 Eastern. The Justice Department says that three generic drug makers will pay nearly $450 million to settle allegations of price fixing. Toro Pharmaceuticals, Sandoz and Apotex have all agreed to five years of internal monitoring as well. Alaska Air telling its 22,000 workers that they must get their COVID shots to keep their jobs. The airline says that vaccinations must happen as early as December 8th because of the carrier's work as a government contractor. And in Russia, uh, Romanov heir getting married. Grand Duke George Romanov is marrying Rebecca 
Fidonari. Both work on philanthropic projects, and it's being built as the first royal wedding in Russia since 1895, even though the Romanovs haven't been in power since 1917. You're now up to date. More halftime report in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Moderna and other COVID vaccine makers down big today on news of Merck's successful trial for a COVID-19 antiviral treatment. Steve Weiss, of course, best identified with that stock, at least on this program. Steve, joining us now. Are you there? I'm here. I'm looking at it right now. Um, down 13 percent. How are you thinking about all this? Well, so, you know, I'm you know, full disclosure. I'm on the golf course with one of the largest asset managers in the world, and we're both looking at it. And say this is absolutely ridiculous. And I reached out to Stefan Montel. Is there anything I'm not seeing? He goes, no. So here's how I'm looking at it. I bought it three times. I bought it down 46, down 51, and down 53. So it's the largest position I've actually ever had. Now, I'm not going to go home with that large, but I will go home with bigger position. So the question that I put out is that even though Tamiflu is out there, are you still getting a flu vaccine? The answer is, of course you are. So the data shows the data shows that right now, and it's premature because not fully through trials, even though they may suspend them, that's fifty percent efficacy against keeping you in the hospital, keeping you out of the hospital, keeping you from dying. So I'm going to take the ninety-five percent surety of not getting COVID rather than getting sick um, with a vaccine. So the bottom line is that this is it's just a ridiculous stock that's run quite a bit, up sixty-one percent in this quarter alone. So I understand there's some nervous hands in there, some paper paws. Um, but I think it's a phenomenal buying opportunity. Uh, I actually did a call with the company earlier in the week for about an hour and a half, just going through everything. It's in the pipeline, all public information anybody could see. And I just think it's compelling. The story has not changed, bottom line. Do, do me a quick favor. Do me a quick favor, because yeah. you sounded a little bit out of breath, no doubt, from chasing your golf ball into the woods many times in the oh, early stages call, yeah. of your round. Um, oh, in this call, yeah. the, <laughs> the actual <laughs> trades that you made, um, can you just go through those again a little bit slower sure. for our viewers and the, the prices, please? Yeah, so I bought it down 46 points first. Then it continued to drop. I think it, I don't know where it bottomed, but I saw it down 56 at one point. I didn't buy it there. As it started to move up, I bought it at about 53, down 53 points. I bought it again down about 51 points, roughly. So, look, the, the numbers are the numbers. They'll learn 30 bucks or so this year. The vaccine right now is priced at 18 to 25 bucks per dose. They've agreed to keep that pricing only for the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic is over, and you've seen forecasts that will come through the, the back end of it, that pricing goes up to standard pricing, and that's 150 to 200 dollars per dose. Additionally, the doses are going to come out at 50 micrograms, which is still going to be much more potent than Pfizer's. So the profitability is going to be enormous. Then you've got next year, uh, you'll get final, you know, you'll get phase three on their quadra variant, which will be flu with 90% efficacy. 
versus 4060, RSV, uh, H1N1, and COVID, of course. Uh, and in between, you get a birth defect vaccine, so there's no competition on the market, uh, CMV. That's 2 to $5 billion market. So the pipeline has almost doubled year over year, and it takes them a lot shorter period of time because it's technology. It's not, it's not putting a dead virus in you or a live virus in you. Uh-huh. It's not the J&J. So, uh-huh. so nothing's changed except the price, which is a severe overreaction because it doesn't impact whether you take a vaccine or not. As I said, so much whether you take a flu vaccine or not. I'm going to leave it there. I appreciate you stepping away from the tee box and and calling in uh, because it's an important story today. Um, Yeah, and I I appreciate you taking away from the tee box in this particular hole. What is a great story uh, today for Merck? Maybe not so much in terms of the stock performance for Moderna, but we'll continue to follow it. Steve Weiss, thank you very much. We do have more committee moves I want to tell you about. I'll do that next. Hey, Steph, I want to go through a couple other moves that I noticed uh, from you today. Uh, Estee Lauder, you sold, and Twitter, you sold as well. Can you tell us quickly about each? Really quick. I just made money in them. Um, Estee Lauder, I'm up 70% since I bought it in the spring of 2020. I love the story, but I think they're vulnerable in terms of China and the slowdown. So if it were to pull back, I'd buy, I'd rebuy it. Twitter is simply, I'm up uh, 20%, um, made my money. And uh, again, if this were to pull back, I would probably uh, get back into it. And the next XPO, I actually trimmed a little bit. I worry about the supply chain in, in general and driver shortages, and I put that money into GXO. I like that story quite a bit. They have better pricing power. But that's kind of where you're at, though. You're, you're looking at some big winners, looking to take some, some gains where you can at this particular time? Yeah, and you know what? I always like to have a little bit of extra cash around earnings season, Scott, right? A little dry powder so I can buy the dips. So that's what I plan to do. All right. That sounds good. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. All right, let's do final trades before we get out of here for the weekend. Liz Young, you go first. I am using renewable energy today. I think it hasn't uh, come off of, it hasn't had as much strength since a peak in the beginning of the year. The proof of supply chain issues shows that we need clean energy. I think it's due for a comeback. Okay, it's good to see you today. Mr. All-In, Farmer Jim. Yeah, I got to start with a quick compliment to my arch nemesis, Steve Weiss. Uh, he sees irrationality in a stock and he's stepping into it. That's exactly what you should do in Cleveland Cliffs. The idea this stock is selling off because infrastructure might not happen is foolish. You should buy Cleveland Cliffs. Okay. Stephanie Link? The Gap. It's down 36% from its highs. The valuation is very cheap at 11 times forward, 2% yield. They have momentum in Athleta and in Old Navy, and they're focused on profitability. So I like this pullback here, and I'd be a buyer. Yeah, interesting. It's one of the stocks, Josh, that you mentioned this week. Um, as well. What's your final trade? Stephanie, Stephanie, did, did you yeah. see the Yeezys, though? The, uh, we got like 10 the, seconds. What 10 do you seconds. Think? <laughs> All right. No. Final trade, Amazon. <laughs> All right. Yes, the, the, the new hoodie. All right, guys, have a great weekend. The Exchange I'll call you out. later, Steph. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.